All right, so we are um, starting on uh, session five of this class, uh, which is <laughs> the nine marks of a healthy church and the nine marks of a healthy church member. And so this week we are on the concept of biblical evangelism and being a biblical evangelist, right? The church is, is one of the nine marks is that it, it has a biblical understanding of evangelism. And at the same time, we are, that makes us biblical evangelists. If we are following in, in, in as members living in keeping with that. So we're just going to kind of hit some, some big things. Um, first off, I would like to say this in the, in a general sense is that, um, evangelism is, is a problem everywhere. All right. So we have, I don't think there's any church or probably very few Christians who don't struggle with evangelism in some way. Um, sometimes you'll hear people talk about, particularly in as, as a reformed church, uh, they'll, people will speak against reformed churches and say, oh, well, you know, because of your beliefs on election and the sovereignty of God and stuff like that, like you, it hurts missions, it hurts evangelism and stuff. And the truth is that's not, that's not right. Uh, some of the strongest evangelists and missionaries in the history of Christianity have been of the reformed, uh, persuasion. Um, the truth is, is that evangelism's, everybody's poor at it. Um, most churches are not great at it. Most Christians are not great at it. It's something that we have to intentionally put ourselves out there in and lean into and practice and grow in. And most people don't, um, they only do that in certain areas of their life, right? And so probably most Christians are sharing in some context, um, their faith, but, but they're not necessarily just, uh, strong in terms of evangelism. Let's talk about a couple of things. So, so first off, who, who should evangelize? Whose job is it to evangelize? Yeah. The simple answer is, is everybody, right? Um, all believers are called to evangelize. Um, that's exactly it. The great commission, um, would, would point us to the idea that, that it's not just for the apostles. It's not just for leaders. It's for every Christian is to be an evangelist. Um, if you don't know the, the, so the word evangel, um, comes from the Greek word, which is euangelion, which is the word basically for the gospel. And so, so, um, that means it's basically saying we are gospel tellers, um, to be evangelists, but that's everybody's job. We are all supposed to be making disciples and certainly to make disciples. Part of that will be the process of evangelism, telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, we see kind of a picture of this going on in Acts 11 after the persecution that causes the dispersion from, from Jerusalem. And so there's a persecution that breaks out and it forces the Christians in Jerusalem to leave there and move to other places. And that sort of, uh, catalyzes the missionary effort accidentally, right? Um, it would have been good if they had been going out and telling people already, but instead, because of the persecution, they have to leave and they begin to tell people. And so in Acts eleven nineteen, it says, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, when uh, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, 
and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So again, this is just a general picture of, of the early church and the people in the early church who are, are not specifically leaders. This is not specifically the apostles or anybody like that, but just people going to these new places they're living and in the process sharing the gospel, um, and it growing. Yeah, Tim. It's the question is something that I've thought before, and the way it's the way it's worded makes you think it's happening immediately. Is it happening immediately? Is what they're is this them talking to Greece in the market square a day and a lot of people believe, or is this them they're going there and over the course of months or do we know? Is yeah. there any way to know? I mean there would be there would be times like at Pentecost where something ha- dramatic happens in a short amount of time. But I think here probably it's nebulous. We wouldn't have, you know, um, we, we just don't have the the data for that or whatever. Um, I would think we would say that the spear is obviously capable of doing either or both or whatever. So, but, but it does seem, I would say sort of as a side point, it does seem like in a sense, it's very, um, perhaps organic, right? These people are not going on mission trips, you might say. They've left their Jerusalem and they are now living or staying for extended periods of time in these new cities. And then as they go, just as we talked about with the Great Commission, as they go, they are making disciples. They are telling people about Jesus and, and, um, preaching the gospel. So, so I think it's probably important for us to zoom in on what is evangelism. We just defined it in the general sense of saying it's, it's, um, telling the good news, but here's some key things because a lot of times I think we all do this at some level. We, we make ourselves feel like we are preaching the gospel when what we're actually doing is not technically preaching the gospel. So what I mean by that is this, um, there are certain things that are not evangelizing, but that are evangelizing adjacent. And for one of those would be giving your testimony. All right. So when you tell your testimony, the story of sort of your spiritual journey and coming to know the gospel, um, while that is often connected and you may share it at the same time you were sharing the gospel, it's not the same thing as the gospel. Okay. Um, you, so a lot of times you'll hear people say something to the effect of, Hey, you know what? It's really easy to evangelize people. All you have to do is go tell them what God has done for you. Some kind of phrase like that. And the answer is that's not evangelism. Um, that's sharing your testimony. Um, but it's, it's not really evangelism. It's not because, it, because the pieces, there's some pieces missing there. Um, by the same token, um, social action or persuasion, even when it's biblical or for a biblical point, is not the same thing as evangelism. So a great example would be um, uh, something like we do here in Blunt County where we do the, um, what do they call it now? Life chain. Or they do life chain, which is when people line up and down um, 321 with pro-life anti-abortion signs. Right. And so, um, or the, just a couple weeks ago when, when they protested with the, the gay pride thing at the college. Okay. Um, not evangelism, uh, standing up for a biblical principle, um, rightly in some way announcing a truth about God and what he would call us to as, as a church and society and everything else, but not evangelism, at least not that I've ever seen, right? It's not like you drove down the road and one sign said, 
God is a holy and just creator. Um, the next sign said, and you were a sinful fallen mankind who was rebelled against your creator. And the next sign said, you know, but Jesus Christ has come to die for your sins and live for, you know, it's not what happens. Um, maybe you could have a scenario in which it would work like that, but it's not. But a lot of times people feel like they're doing that. They're like, Oh, I'm sharing the gospel. Um, and it's, and it's like, no, you're not really. You're just sharing a biblical principle. So I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's not evangelism. Um, it's not apologetics, okay? Arguing with people, um, or even not arguing, just talking to people about principles of, you know, um, the existence of God or the existence of morality or the proof evidence for the resurrection or something like that, not evangelism. Um, telling somebody why it's rational and feasible to believe in God, it's not the same thing as evangelism. Evangelism may be included, I mean, apologetics may be included in evangelism. They may be connected, but they're not the same thing. Um, it's also important to, to recognize that it's distinct from the results, all right? So sometimes, again, the church will make comments as if to say, if people aren't actually being converted and drawn to Christ, then you haven't really evangelized yet. And I think that's not right either. Okay. Um, we can tell the gospel faithfully and accurately and, and then we leave the results up to God. And so even if nobody listens, we may have still evangelized properly. Um, it's sort of zooming out a little bit. And I think this is key, man. The gospel is not a period opinion or, or just mere personal belief, but it's fact. And we have to talk about it like it's fact. So, so again, you start getting a lot of this language of, uh, well, what I think and the way I live my life and the things that are important to me and stuff like that, as if it is a, a personal philosophy or something like that. And we have to understand that the reality is, is no, the gospel is not just a personal belief that you have ascribed to. We are claiming that it is the nature of existence and the way God relates to a fallen world. Right. Um, that it is true for all people in all places, um, that all people must believe the gospel. It's not just like, oh, well, this is a way of life I have chosen. No, it's fact. Um, and again, by the same token, it's not just your facts, right? These reflect God's news to the world. So you can't treat them as if this is just your own personal way of addressing life and, and everything. No, this is God's message for everybody. And so at that level, every single person is the same. Every single person needs to hear the gospel. There are no people on the planet who can say, well, that may be good for you, but it's not good for me. I understand what they mean by that. It means they don't want to believe. But the truth is, at the end of the day, no, you will be judged by these things as well, right? When you stand before God one day, you will either stand on the basis of Christ's sacrifice announced in the gospel, or you will stand on your own merits. And that's it. So, and then the last thing is this. Again, in our current modern world, there's a, there's a, there's a stigma against proselytizing. People do not like proselytizing. And so you may even have work contexts and things like that where they have told you, Hey, that's something that you're not allowed to do here. You're not allowed to proselytize here. You, you, we don't want that. Um, meaning you're not allowed to try to convert people to your belief system. Um, and whether you, in, in lots of places in our current secular world, that means it's across the board, whether you're Muslim or Jewish or Christian or Buddhist or whatever else. But, but the reality is this, we're not imposing anything by telling people the gospel, by evangelizing. Okay. We are announcing 
the truth of the gospel, and we're inviting people to believe the gospel. And that's it. And so, um, you know, obviously we would not characterize it as, uh, I mean, it is proselytizing in a technical sense, but we're not, we're not trying to coerce anybody into the, to the faith. Um, we are, we are announcing it and inviting them to believe the truth of it. Uh, questions, comments, concerns? Do you think, um, you see the, maybe people who have confused these things, um, in certain areas? I was going to a church in Kansas and did this big revival thing where it was all about sharing the gospel and we were going out in the communities as teams and presenting what they called the gospel at the time, but it was basically, do you know Jesus? Are you going to go to heaven? Do you want to pray this prayer with me right now? And then they were doing tick marks of how many people did we get to pray today? Then they came back together as a group and it was like, which team got the most people to say, yes, I'm going to pray this prayer. And I was in seventh grade at the time and I just felt off about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's like, this doesn't feel right. Yep. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like it doesn't feel spiritually led. It feels. And I guess you might have relationships to evangelize, but it feels better to have relationships to evangelize. Yep. Right. Yeah, we were approaching strangers. Strangers, yeah. Yep. Yep. And it was really uncomfortable for me because I'm an introvert anyway. And I was this awkward 13-year-old teenager mm-hmm. running around with these other adults that were in charge of our group. But... We were in charge of that at, at the mother church for a while. We had, yep. we had a conference on not going to work. Yep. It led to some cool opportunities, but yep. also... Yeah, it felt. Yeah, we, we, yeah, we, we usually tended to lean it towards more of outreach than, than we would see if the opportunity to evangelize arose, but oftentimes it did not. Oftentimes you were doing something else. You were inviting people to church, asking people about needs and different things like that. Praying for people, certainly. Um, but yeah. But yeah, but that would be an example. If we had gone out and come back every week and said, well, we've, we, we did a lot of evangelizing this week. The truth is, is that most weeks we didn't do a lot of evangelizing. We, we did other things that were good things, but we just shouldn't call it what it wasn't. I've never seen it put this way. So my opinion is it takes a lot of pressure off of you because you're not, you know, you're not getting involved in social, you know, like the social things of this world. You're not, you're not getting, it's not your opinion. You're just merely saying facts to someone. Mm-hmm. And so that's so much easier to, to you know, because it's not perfect. I mean, although it is personal, mm-hmm. yep. it's, it's not for, I mean, you are truly just sharing the facts of what, of what the gospel is. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I think I, I've always thought to myself, and I, I've shared this a couple of times in sermons and stuff, whereas the, the, it seems like to, in my own heart, it's getting somebody to love, to trust Jesus is almost like trying to convince somebody to love my wife um, in the sense of saying, I love my wife and I could tell other people about her great qualities, but they're probably not, the, me telling them the great qualities of my wife are not going to make them fall in love with her, right? Because that's not how it works. Uh, that's not how love works. So the reality is, is I love my wife because I love my wife. And the, and the, also the reality is, is that people are going to love Jesus because they fall in love with him personally. I don't have to convince them, right? Like I don't have to, I just tell them accurately what the truth is. And then they can believe that or not. 
um, and God can change their heart or not. But it's just my job to put the truth out there. Um, I know also, you know, a lot of times we will talk about things like we might say, well, I've had spiritual conversations with people, right? Um, but honestly, we've not really gotten to the point of evangelizing. And spiritual conversations are great. We should have lots of spiritual conversations. Sometimes those are the things that are leading up to the opportunity to be able to uh, straightforwardly share the gospel. But but we still haven't had shared the gospel with them by having those those spiritual conversations. So then what is evangelism? What would be the keys to it? Okay. Well, I think you could say that a, a, to evangelize, it has to be these three things. Okay. Or certainly the first one and the last one with the second one in, in a general sense. Okay. Um, one, it has to be content specific. So you have to tell them the message of the gospel, right? You ha- they have to understand that God is a just God, that they are sinful, that Jesus Christ has come to be the perfect savior and that they must repent of their sin and turn to Jesus Christ alone by faith. And that, and that that will, that will cause a change in their life, right? That there will be consequences of that. Okay. Like if you just come to people and say, Jesus loves you and wants wonderful things for your life, right? You should believe in Jesus. That's not the gospel. Um, it's not enough. Um, or if you just come to people and say, if you'll just believe in God, if you'll just believe in God, then he'll save you. Now it's not the gospel. That's only a piece of it, right? You need, you have to have the content of it because we are declaring a message. That message has to be full and accurate. Okay. It doesn't have to be exhaustive, but it does have to be, has to be all the, all the information has to be there. Okay. So that's sort of why we talked about like, two weeks ago or the two sessions ago, why the gospel is one of those central first three, right? If you don't have the gospel and a church doesn't understand the gospel, then you're going to be in trouble uh, because you're not going to be really telling people what they need to know to actually be converted and to come into a relationship with God. Okay. As a second thing that is necessary in that, I think that there, there has to be at least a level in which you include a notion of the exclusivity of Christ and the gospel. So that is to say you you can't evangelize if you sort of put it out there as if to say, well, this is one way of thinking about things, right? And you can you can accept this way, but there's other ways of getting to God that are out there, other ways of accepting him, right? I think there has to be some level at which you when you talk to people, they understand the idea of saying um there's no other way. This is the only answer right? Um, there's no, this is the means by which we are saved. Okay. And, and so there's an exclusivity to the gospel. And then the third thing is, is we've got to call people to faith and repentance. We've got to invite them to act on it, right? To turn, to acknowledge their sin and to turn Jesus Christ for salvation. So again, if you just sort of lay out the situation, which goes back to that, the first point, if you just sort of say, Hey, God's a just and holy God, man sinful and they have are under his condemnation and Jesus has come to be a savior. And then you walk away. You've not evangelized. You've told a good chunk of the gospel. You've told. Two thirds of you've done two thirds of the job of evangelizing, but you've not done the rest of it because we've got to call people to faith. You evangelize if you leave out kingdom. So it would be, 
I think so, and this is the reason why. It'll be in the next point. Um, I, I think, I think you should. Now again, it may not be the first thing that comes. It may be a next conversation kind of thing. Um, and in some ways it is the and then part of the gospel, but, but there's still an important piece. So we think about that. It, can you, it, yeah. Does that mean that you, you know, will live forever? Well, no. So we would, so what we talked about a couple of weeks ago with the kingdom idea was to basically say, so to come into a relationship with God through Jesus by faith and repentance now means that God is setting up his kingdom in your life and you are now going to live in such a way where you are repenting of sin turning to Jesus more and uh, trusting in Jesus more and more, repenting of sin more and more. Your life is being redemptively conformed to Jesus more and more. And so that's the picture, right? So that's the kingdom picture. But all of that, in a sense, is to say, yeah, well, well what happens after you're saved, right? It's So in a sense, it's almost like it's not the message of salvation, but it's the consequence of the message of salvation. But I'm about to point to something it is, it's, it is, it is the process of sanctification, but you want to tell people that, right? So again, the reason is because you don't want people thinking, oh, the gospel's a get out of hell free card. So I can walk an aisle and pray a prayer and then never have to worry about any of this stuff anymore and go about my life. The kingdom is more yeah that's not the way we mean it that's not the way i mean it anyway um that's not the way we have used greg gilbert's little book um as as the the model for that his his laying out of god man christ response kingdom and and what he means by kingdom is uh god's already not yet redemptive redemptive reign in your life that's what he means by it so it's already started to take place. You're becoming more and more like Christ, but not completely. You're still going to struggle in different ways. But little by little, God is redeeming, buying back parts of your life from sin to sanctification um, because he's now the ruler of your life. God created me, I'm a sinner. Christ died for my sins. You know, I repented. I've asked for forgiveness. I believe. But then what do I do next? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. In BBS, they say ABC, and, and you're like, oh, yeah. What do you do then? Like, you commit. I think it's 2003. And then you confess your faith in Jesus. Yeah. So you don't have. Yeah. And then what? Yeah. So, like, so for example, I mean, just a generic thing would be there's a hundred. People in the church, you know, any given church, uh, children of members who have not been to church in three decades, right? Who walked an aisle when they were a teenager and prayed a prayer when they were a teenager and then never came back and have had no connection to the church, to the word, to living a Christian life or whatever. And we would say, yeah, that was a problem. It may have been partially our fault because we may not have made it clear that that was part of the part of the consequence of the gospel. Let me go to the next slide, and it'll add some of that. Um, as we're evangelizing, I don't know that these are exactly the things that we just straight up need to say in a sense, but in, in a sense we do because the Bible encourages us to do it in different places. One, we need to encourage people and say, hey, the gospel will be costly, okay? It may cost you all kinds of things. 
Um, it may cost you your job and your family and your friends and your livelihood. It may cost you your life in many places in the world, right? Um, so we're not making any pie in the sky. Again, there's that, that false gospel that goes around. Hey, the gospel is that Jesus loves you and wants, has a wonderful plan for your life. And the answer is in the long term, that is accurate. In the short term, it may not be accurate at all. Um, God does love, Jesus does love you and he may have a very rough plan for your life, right? Very difficult things may happen. Um, but Jesus tells us this. He says in Luke 14, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Or suppose a king is about to go out to war against another king. And he says, wouldn't you look at the size of your army and see if you think that you're capable of actually doing this? And so he's saying, if you are the kind of person who puts your hand to the plow and then says, eh, you know, I decided it's just too much work, right? Then this isn't, it's not going to happen. You you have to recognize this could cost you everything and does for many people. Now, it may not, and for most of us, it is not, right? Most of us have believed and it has not cost us our life. It has not cost us our livelihood. It has not cost us um, our family, right? Um Although it may have. But we should be honest with people about the cost. Uh, I, there was a sweet young lady, sweet young lady who started coming to Pleasant Grove years ago. She in her mid twenties and she had a lot of mental problems. Um, sort of, uh, I mean, depression and anxiety and stuff, but she even had some bipolar, schizophrenic kind of things going on. And, and she said, Hey, can I sit down and talk to you sometime? And I said, yeah. And so we sat down and talked and she basically was like, so when can I expect all of this to go away? And I was like, I can't promise you that any of it's going to go away. And she's like, what do you mean? Like, that's the whole, that's why I'm doing this, right? Because Jesus is going to heal me and Jesus is going to save me. And I was like, he very well may, and he may not. And this may be what you, you, you have to figure out how to live with this the rest of your life and, and balance these things and, and, and move along. And I was like, there's going to be all kinds of ways that he is going to speak into these things and meet some of the causes of them. Certainly your depression and your anxiety may partially be because you got a really not good worldview, essentially, right? Like there are aspects that are not biochemical. They're, they're, they're stinking thinking, right? You know, um, but also. I, I can't promise you that these things are going to all get better. Um, now that's a little different context because I'm not saying that the gospel is causing any of those things, right? Because the truth is the gospel, sometimes accepting the gospel causes difficulties. There's a story that Francis Chan shares of a little Indian boy who came home and he'd, he'd gone to a revival in somewhere in his community in India and he'd heard the gospel and he'd gotten saved and he went home and told his father and said, Hey, I went to this Christian revival and I, I've, I've decided to f- trust in Jesus and become a Christian. And his dad immediately grabbed him by the scruff of his neck, walked him out the door and pushed him out the door and said, as long as you're a Christian, you're not my son anymore. Close the door in his face. And he never went back. He never went back to his family. That's it. Never saw him again. Um, he went to the church and the church took him in and, and provided for him and, and things like that. But that's it. Um, and so the gospel sometimes costs you literally everything at a level. So we should be honest with people about that. Um, however, at the same time, despite those difficulties, it will be worth it because you are gaining the single most important thing in the universe. And that is God, um, that whatever you are giving up and whatever it is costing you, you are gaining a relationship with God. 
You are gaining rightness with God. That's basically what our whole sermon tonight in Philippians is on. You are gaining Jesus Christ. So everything else is, there's no comparison. You put Jesus in the scale, put everything else on the other side of the scale, and Jesus is always going to outweigh it. So we should be honest about that. There may be difficulties, but they will be ultimately worth it. And then another piece that I think is important to share in the gospel um, is that the idea of saying you're not promised tomorrow. So that is the urgency of the gospel. That's part of the reason why we've not shared the gospel until we've invited them to believe and repent. Because if we're, if we, if we just sort of say, Hey, here's these neat ideas about who God is and what he's done, and then walk away from that and let them make up their own mind, then we've probably done them a disservice because they may not have uh, more time to wait. Now, again, you can't make anybody believe. So ultimately, we're always having to leave it in their hands and let them make the decision. But at least you can tell them. You can say, hey, I don't want you, I don't want to give you the impression that um, you've got forever to make this decision. Um, we're not promised anything. I hope you live a long life. Uh, and, and, but you don't have, I can't promise you that. So we should tell people those things. Um, Proverbs 27, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring. Um, and moreover, first Corinthians six, I tell you now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So that's something that is always, we should always let people know God has appointed one time for salvation now, right? Now is the time for salvation. Uh, he's not appointed a day in the future for your salvation. Um, or at least you're not promised that, right? You have one time that is appointed for salvation. It's right now. So if you haven't been saved, you need to, you should do that now because this is the only time you're guaranteed. Um, other than that, you're, you're taking a chance. And so we should be honest with people about that. Now, again, I don't know that every single time we tell people this part of the God, this part of the presentation, we end up getting heavily into all this, but it probably should be a part of the larger conversation that we're having with people. Um, and especially as we're talking about the difference between evangelizing people, you know, well, and are close to versus a stranger on the street, you know, some of those issues play into it. If you're evangelizing a stranger on the street, you don't have forever to talk to them. You don't have the future to tell them other things, right? You've got a short amount of time and you, and you have to do the best you can in that amount of time. Um, but for a person who's, um, you have a relationship with, and this will be the first of many conversations, then, then again, you're not promised any amount of time, but you may end up getting to have deeper and further conversations in which you can encourage them in these things. So, but all pieces that we want to be um, conscious of when we're evangelizing um, and nobody, I'm just going to say nobody. I don't know that I've ever evangelized anybody with all these pieces, right? Like I know, I don't know that I've ever sat down with somebody and been able to go, here's everything you need to know in one sitting. Like it just doesn't end up working that way, but it's all things that we should keep in our hearts and heads as we're evangelizing. Most people Come to faith in Christ off of the witness load, like not, not, I mean, <clears throat> maybe they, 
don't know how to how to word it, but um, let's say like somebody close to you that's you know has a relationship with you is usually the person that helps bring somebody to faith in Christ. But like, isn't their witness, their love and kindness, their way they treat people, way they live? What it doesn't not what brings them to is that what brings them to Christ or what or the gospel what fulfills? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So it we're going to talk about it in just a second. It is a piece of the puzzle. But I don't think it is not. Um, it is, it, you can't, so a witness without the content won't be right. You're, you're missing it, right? Uh, no matter how kind or loving or honest the test, the teller is, if they don't tell the right answer, if they don't give the right gospel, there's no, it's like a, ma- what is it? You said, you said preach the gospel, it's necessary to use words, as opposed to like quotes. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. No, it's necessary. Yeah, it's nece- it's, it's, yeah, it's essential. Yeah. You cannot preach the gospel with your life. Okay. Uh, your, go- the gospel, your life gives testimony to the gospel, right? But you cannot preach the gospel with your life. It has to be with words, right? Okay. If you go out and serve people and love them and give out food and, and do nice things for people, that is a gospel evidence, but it's not the gospel because at the end of the day, somebody could look at you and go, gosh, what a nice person they are. It's the shiny reflective, uh, lure floor in the water, but the gospel's the hook, right? Uh, I mean, if we're trying to skin them and fry them, yeah, I guess so, you know. Um, and you don't look different from Mormons by just being Yeah, Mormon. right. And the key is, is that Mormons are lost. Yeah. Like they, that's not the gospel. They don't have the gospel. The things that they say are not, is not Christianity. And so, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. And those are usually the things that we think about, right? When we, when we think, oh, that person's so, they've got a loving family, they treat their neighbors well or whatever. And he's like, and again, I think it's first Corinthians maybe or something where he says, Everybody does that. Now, obviously not everybody does. There are lots of jerky people in the world and nobody likes them, right? But there are lots of people in the world who are nice to people. Yes. Yeah. And so, um, it can't just be, it can't just be your life witness. Um, although as we're about to talk about, that plays an important part. So something else to keep in mind, things to keep in mind. Um, other pieces that you can try to do to most effectively evangelize. Use the Bible in evangelism. Okay. Um, partially because again, it, it, it contributes to one of the earlier things. It reminds people that what you're saying is not just your idea of the way the world works, but it is something objective found in the scriptures. So again, I think, I think even if people don't really have a strong, uh, uh, appreciation or um, respect for the, the scriptures, they still lend something to the conversation, right? Um, they, they, and I think the word has a certain power to it in and of itself anyway, but at the very least, 
instead of just me being a random dude standing up here, you know, there's the, the little girl that came and visited a few weeks ago and she came in and she said, she said, uh, you know, I saw y'all were doing church and I was like, yeah. Um, she's like, yeah, I like some of these things that you've done in your service or whatever. I'm like, yeah. And then she's like, is this a cult? And I was like, and I was like, no, it's not a cult. And she was like, that's what you'd say if it was a cult. And I was like, yeah, you're totally right. Um, because you know what? If it's just me saying some things and doing some things, then there's at least the fact that maybe I'm just a weirdo. But if you go to the word, you may still not have a lot of respect for the word, but at least you can say, you know, the Bible's been around for a couple of thousand years. It seems like at least this is somebody, this guy's doing what this book has always told people to do, right? And so there's helpful ways of sort of going the path of God, man, Christ response, things like the Romans road. So you can look it up and go through the passages. Maybe you want to sort of make your own Romans road, except not in Romans, you know, that, that sort of connects the God, man, Christ response stuff or whatever. But I think it's helpful. Um, again, that, that takes some time. You got to have some time to sit down with somebody and open a Bible and go through things. And so it depends on the context. Um, as Marlon was saying, our personal lives and the church's conduct lend to the credibility of the gospel. They are not the same thing as the gospel, but they do lend to its credibility. If, if we are telling people the gospel and then living like hell, then yeah, it's probably not going to carry a lot of weight because they're going to look at it and say, I don't see that this has done anything. You, you guys don't even seem like you believe it. So why should I believe it? So it contributes, it gives credibility, but it's not the gospel itself. Um, here's, here's the thing that again, I think we, we, we drift into accidentally in the effort to emphasize right things. We end up going a little too far. We need to focus on life change. We need to focus on the kingdom piece of that God, man, Christ response kingdom, not just words and decisions. Okay. We can't just say, Oh yeah, you walk an aisle, you pray a prayer. I, I said a thing. I, I admitted something. I agreed with something. That's not the same thing as a life of faith, which is demonstrated by trusting in Jesus and following him regularly. So again, we should encourage people towards that. We're not just trying to walk around at the beach and get somebody to say something and and then go back and be like, yay, we did it or whatever. No, we're saying, Hey, I do want you to say something. I do want you to make a decision, but I need you to know that decision will is going to be about a, a new life for you. Like you're, it's going to change everything for you. And so you should know that going into this kind of ties back to the idea of it being costly. And then a last or, or a, a fourth thing. So just another thing to keep in mind is use Robust language when you're when you're preaching the gospel. Don't use euphemisms that could get things lost. Okay, asking Jesus into your heart is not the worst way to talk about Christianity, but it's not the best way to talk about what's going on. Okay, um, it's very yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He talked about thinking he walked into a cult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you need, and, and obviously that's, you're not, it's not wrong, but it need, you need to have language that is, is clear. And so he makes this, he, he says, you know, instead of saying, ask Jesus in your heart, maybe you could say something like surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. Okay. We can understand that idea a little bit. The idea that Jesus is a king and I am committing my life to say that he gets to command me from now on. Right. Now, again, you might say, man, ideas of kingship and yada, yada, we don't get those or whatever nowadays. The point is, is don't just be, um, try to, try to speak in such a way that people understand the consequence of what we're talking to them about and what is actually necessary that we're calling them to. Okay. Um, a lot of times, again, uh, man, we want to, we want to water it down because we think it'll be more, palatable then, right? Like, well, it'll be easier for them to digest if we'll just not make it so hard. You don't understand that you're a sinner. You don't understand your need for a savior. Uh-huh. If you're, I mean, if you're cool with what you're doing, you don't understand that what you're doing is bad or, or, or wrong or, or everybody else is doing it or I'm not such a bad person. If you don't understand the depth of how bad you are, in the eyes of a holy God, you don't understand. Hey, I really, really need. I really, really need you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I need a savior, right? Because what ends up happening is you end up going. No, I probably. The way pe- some people talk about Jesus is, I need a guru, or a friend, or a dude who will support me. Um, yeah, and then decisions I'm already making. Who will love me unconditionally? Um, I need. A, a cosmic grandfather who will always speak kindly to me and encourage me in my life or whatever. It's like, no, that's not what you need at all. Uh, what you mainly need is a propitiation for your sin, right? You need something to take away the wrath that is barreling down on you like a freight train, right? That's what you need. And Jesus does that. He absorbs the wrath on the cross. And then you go, okay, well, is that all I needed? No, the answer is not. That's not all you need. Because not only do I need to be forgiven of my sin, but I need to be sanctified. I need to live in a way that honors the God that has saved me. Guess what? Jesus has done that too. He lived a perfect life in my place and died a perfect death in my place. And so Jesus has imputed his righteousness to me. And But again, if you talk about these things in terms of bland self-help, um, new agey kind of language. Um, uh, there was a, there was a pastor that I really liked. Um, uh, I liked the things he had to say. He was very insightful in certain areas, but he was always talk about the God who wants you to fulfill your fullest potential. That was what he would talk about all the time, right? God wants you to be, to fulfill your, your fullest potential. And I was like, he does, I think. I think God does want us to fulfill our potential. But man, that is not the main thing that we need. If we die having not fulfilled our potential, we'll be fine. Okay? It'll be okay. If we step into eternity without a savior, we're in a lot of trouble. And so just use better language when we're talking to people about this. In the conversion part, if the Holy Spirit's not in it, that conversion's not going to happen. Yeah. Instead of us trying to force things or trying to use certain language 
to make ourselves. I think that's more so about our pride. Is yep. To make ourselves attractive and how we're sharing. Yep. We want to make people feel good. Yep. And if we do that, then we're completely discounting the spirit work there. Yep. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. How could anybody hate us for saying God loves you and wants a wonderful plan, has a wonderful plan for your life? Like nobody could get mad at us for that, right? Even the most staunch atheist, that just seems like, how can you argue with that? It's, it's, it's very, it's very, it's tasty, man. It's, it's a sweet, right? But the deal is, is if we trust in the Holy Spirit, then we can look somebody in the face and say, uh, there is a, there is a sense in which, you know, we always use the line, God doesn't hate the sin. He, I mean, he hates the sin. He doesn't hate the sinner. There is also evidence in the Bible to say, no, 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 he doesn't just hate the sin. He's mad at you. Okay. Um, he has anger towards you and, and there's an eternity in hell to pay for it, but he also loves you more than you could have ever hoped. And so if you will. <laughs> take advantage of what he has offered to you in the gospel, you will be saved. And it doesn't matter how ugly or difficult or harsh the message is. If the Holy Spirit is the one convincing people, then there will be people who receive that message with joy, uh, even though it is a harsh message, right? And there will be people who reject it, but you'll know that it's the message. They're re- if you if you tell them the real truth, then you'll know it's the message they're rejecting and not just your presentation of it. Fear has to be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. The fe- yeah, always, right? Um, and the fear of man would be a better way of saying it. You are scared for your own acceptance, safety, inclusion, you know, all of those things. Um, because, you know, you, you fear losing a friend by, by, by preaching the gospel or, or telling the truth and, and telling the unvarnished truth. But you will feel a whole lot worse if that person leaves this world and you have the opportunity to at least have tried. Mm-hmm. And then you are thinking about where are they now? Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I mean, legit. Like, say, say, yep. Yep. That's it. I had a conversation this week with a gentleman and he was talking about a, a scene from his young adulthood. He said he's sitting on his porch one night and a friend came over, a guy he went to high school with. And the guy came over and said, Hey, I just wonder if I could talk to you for a little bit. And they sat down and they were talking and the guy was obviously distressed and something was going on. And, and my, and, the, the, the friend of mine kept on saying, man, well, what is it? Like, you're obviously here for something, man. You're, what is it that you need to talk about? And he sort of meandered, you know, well, you know, uh, man, my life just didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to. And he was like, okay, right. Yeah. But you know, let's, let's talk about it. You know, there's something specific, you know, and it never really went anywhere. And he kept on prodding it and never went anywhere. And finally he got to the end of the night and the guy said, well, I, I guess I need to get going. And he was kind of like, man, like, I feel like you came here for a reason, but, but, but I, you know, we just can't, can't have a comp, you know, you're not telling me something. And he's like, yeah, I know. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I just, I, you know, I don't know what's wrong, you know, and he left and the guy left and went to a bridge and jumped off and killed himself. Um, and my friend was of course, like, you know, in hindsight, just like going, 
you're racked with a level of guilt, but also a level of saying, I don't, I don't know what more I could have done that you, you know, the guy was not, he wouldn't open up. He wouldn't talk. He wouldn't, I didn't know it was wrong or whatever. Um, but yeah, there's, you never know what's, what's going to happen and how much time people have, whether because of any circumstance, right? And so the urgency is, is real and, and something that we have to take into account and encourage them in. Um, nothing wrong with that. Somebody might say, oh, you're just trying to scare them into a decision. Yeah, a little bit, right? Um, I'm not trying to coerce them by scaring them, but I am trying to say these are real things. Um, and, and they're not to be taken lightly. So, um, another sort of, uh, sort of shifting gears a little bit from things to keep in mind, something to do, employ the church to help in the process of evangelization. Okay. Um, hopefully at the church, they will hear the gospel preach. So if you can, you know what, maybe you've, you've not had an opportunity to just sit down and lay out the gospel, but, but maybe you can get them to come to church and they'll hear the gospel there. Um, um, I hope the case is, is that we will see, in the church, the gospel being played out in real lives. So again, you can't, the, the, the lives of the people in the church are not telling the gospel, but they're displaying, they're, they're giving validity to it. You're seeing people walk out the truth of the gospel, the, the difficulty and the messiness and the, and the, the truths of who Jesus is and how he saved us and stuff. You're seeing that played out in real people's lives. You're looking at other people who have believed the gospel as well. So again, you walk up to a stranger who's never met a Christian before and you're telling them about Jesus and they're just sort of like, this guy's a weirdo. He just talks about Jesus all the time. Well, what if you could get him to a place where there were 60 to 80 other weirdos walking around who all talked about Jesus and seem to have all made the same kind of decision? That place is called the church. So see if you can get somebody to church. Um, another piece that's helpful in that is, is it, is it establishes the centrality of the church in the life of the believer. So that means going to the kingdom element, right? Even if we can get this person to believe, even this person does believe, they need to know that the only way that they're going to be able to live out that kingdom aspect of, of the gospel is in community. That they need other believers. They need other people pouring into them. They need other people teaching them. They need that community. So bringing them to church establishes that up front. Okay. Um, Hey, I just want you to know that when I'm telling you these things about who Jesus is, I want you to know that this is all in the context of, of a community. So you can't just believe this stuff and then be a lone ranger. Um, and then lastly, it introduces new potential believers to various people with various experiences and gifts that can help lead them to faith or to greater faithfulness. And so, uh, last night, at FBA, Tom Schreiner's talk was basically about spiritual gifts and, and the fact that we all have different ones. We all are gifted in different ways and every single person is necessary for the church. The same way every single part of your body serves some kind of function. There are really central functions and there are more behind the scenes functions. There are critical functions and then there are, um, necessary, but maybe um, not critical, right? So I was, I was talking to somebody this week and they had had their big toe removed. Um, and they were talking about how hard it was to do everything in terms of balance. You don't have to, you don't realize about, um, about balance, right? With, with, uh, 
um, having no big toe. Um, it's hard, right? Okay. Well, your big toe is not as important as your heart. It just isn't, right? Your heart goes out today. That's ball game. Your big toe goes out and you're just, uh, oh no, it was Dr. Schreiner. That's, he was talking about standing up and hurting his foot. He's like, I just stood up and he hurt my foot, but it was like it threw him all out of whack. And it was this big, didn't seem like it was that big a deal, but it was a, it was a, it, it, it threw him off. If the church is like that, man, not everybody is standing up front, having a central influence in, in, in the everyday life of certain things, but every single person is important. Every single person has a gift that is necessary for the church. Some of us are brains, some of us are hearts, some of us are pancreases, some of us are, you know, uh, gallbladders. Um, yeah. Um, hey, you know what? Even those, all of those things, they've discovered like your appendix is, it was very necessary. We just don't have as much cholera as we used to. And so we don't notice how necessary it is. Um, So maybe, maybe you're the appendix for when the church has cholera. Um, it's a long illustration, not how to work that all out, you know. Uh, okay. So sort of just in closing, cause we're, we need to uh, wrap it up. Um, here's a couple of books that, that, um, Dever's book suggests I can attest to in descending order. 100%, 75%, 25 percent, and 0%. Um, so and the Sovereignty of God is one of my favorite good little books in the, ever. Um, we have used it as a good little book before years ago. It's a great book. I love J.I. Packer. Um, it is a, it is a great little book. It's not just a good little book. It's a great little book. Okay. Um, so you should definitely read it. Tell the truth is sort of a standard, text. Uh, we use it in seminary as our, in our personal evangelism class. Um, it's a solid book, but it's big. It's like four or 500 pages long. It's very in depth. Um, it, I, I remember getting a little lost in the weeds on it. Like you read it and you just sort of go, is this a book about evangelism? I can't, or what are, what are we talking about here? Um, but still very solid revival and revivalism is a classic. People reference it all the time. If you just have time to know brainy things about Christianity and church history, it would be, it's one of the first books you should read. Um, it's a great book about the difference between movements of the spirit and coercing people into the faith. Um, tracing the history of American Christianity through largely through like the great awakening and, and then the, the second great awakening and things like that. Right. But it's, it's got a lot of interesting stuff in it, but also it's a picture of asking all these questions. Um, and then the lastly, the one about speaking of Jesus, I've never read it and have no experience with it. Don't know anything about it, except Max Stiles, who I have read other books about missions and evangelism by Max Stiles. And he's super solid and a good writer. And so I'm sure that book is good. I just don't have any experience with it. So, um, but man, you should get J.I. Packer's book yesterday because it's short and good. And the first chapter is worth the whole book. Like you read the first chapter and you go, Oh, I'm a Calvinist. Um, like, uh, like that's what you do. Um, it's, it's, it, it is one of the most obvious, simple arguments. And you just sort of go, Oh, yeah, that just makes sense. 
Why has this been so? Uh, probably 30 years ago, something like that. He did. Yeah, about two or three years ago. But he was really old. Um, he was like 98. So just of that version. Yeah, that, that, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. That's it.